0: Why, hello. Welcome to the Theology Podcast. It's great to have you here for this episode. I'm CR Wiley. I'm a pastor. I serve at church in the Pacific Northwest and I've written lots of things. I've been a I've been a, a real estate investor and a home improvement contractor, professor of philosophy, and I've written books. And my latest book is In the House of Tom Bombadil. Anyway, enough about me. How about you, Tom?
1: Uh Tom Price. I teach theology, systematic theology, Christian thought, philosophy, ethics, (laughs) a host of other things. And uh, I'm writing and writing away. All right. All right.
2: Glenn. (laughs) I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a retired history professor, senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and Ministry Associated Reflections Ministries.
0: Great, great. Hey, it's my day today, and I want to talk about axiology, but before we jump into the subject of the day, I want to let folks know about a couple of things. This show is going to drop on Monday, Monday the 12th, and on Wednesday, Wednesday uh, of next week, two days after this show drops, we're going to be live in Memphis, Tennessee at the PCA General Assembly. Actually, we're not actually in the General Assembly, although we will be uh, at a booth uh, in the General Assembly. Our friend David Stocker and his architecture firm has got a booth, and they're going to have us there at different points in time over the course of the Assembly, and we'll have some books to sell and so forth. But uh, the the main thing is we're going to be uh, at the Courtyard Marriott. I think that's what it is. It's right next door to the Convention Center. Let me just make sure I've got my information correct here. I Yes, the Courtyard mm-hmm. Marriott downtown Memphis, and we're going to be in the King Cotton Ballroom. What a great name, <laughs> <laughs> the King Cotton Ballroom, and we're going to be there from three o'clock to seven o'clock, and we're going to do at least two shows, one with our friend George Grant, uh, a different, another show with our friend Doug Grotheist. That's the right way to pronounce it, isn't it? Grotheist. Yes, I got it right this time. And we're also going to spend a little time with our friend Ben Dunson from American Reformers. So it's going to be a great show or a set of shows and a great time. We'll have plenty of time uh, to spend with folks who want to come and and talk to us and and just kind of chew the fat, so to speak. Uh, So please uh, make a point if you're in Memphis, uh, if you're at the General Assembly, uh, if you just kind of Passing through to drop in there at the Courtyard Marriott in downtown Memphis uh, in the King Cotton Ballroom from 3 to 7 on Wednesday, the 14th. And if you're in Huntsville, Alabama, we're going to do a live show there at Fractal Brewing on Friday, the 16th, at 7 p.m. So you can just kind of like be a groupie and follow us around from site to site. <laughs> I, I, yeah, we don't have groupies. But anyway, um, we, uh, we do have our wives. Maybe they're groupies, and they're actually going to be with us, so it's going to be uh, pleasant to have our wives with us for these things. But anyway, we'll be at Fractal Brewing uh, there uh, at uh, 7 o'clock to do a live show, and that's sponsored by our friends at Trinity Reformed Church. Anyway, enough of that for now. Uh, we hope to see you then. Uh, on to the show, on to the subject of the day. So as folks know, I've been talking ad nauseum about an address that I was to give in Miami at the Thank God for Bitcoin conference, and thank God it's over. (laughs) It went well. I, I met a lot of great folks there, enjoyed myself, got to meet Zuby. Zuby and I a, oh, nice. and a few guys went out to lunch, and uh, he's the real deal, by the way. I like him. He's a good guy. Oxford grad, so hey, Tom. Yeah, yes. he was at my – he actually
1: was at the same college as, uh, as man, me. Nice. Different years. <laughs> I'm a little younger than he
0: is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun to learn about how he became kind of, kind of a, a sensation on Twitter. Uh, the story of that is he broke the he, – he, he declared himself a woman. And then broke the woman's deadlift record uh, (laughs) live on Twitter. And then told everybody that didn't uh, celebrate that they were bigots, and, uh, and consequently it went viral and there were millions of views. And he became friends with Elon Musk. And anyway, a lot of fun. But uh, at that point, he was just kind of just one more guy on Twitter, and he just kind of did that uh, on you know on the spur of the moment, and it led to him becoming the sort of the personality on Twitter that he is today, with I think over a million followers now. But anyway, uh, it was great to be with Zuby, but uh, I spoke on, uh, the theme of, uh, value or X ax- axiology, uh, the assessment of value, so to speak. And, uh, the title of my talk was welcome to Casablanca. <laughs> so now I know that Bitcoin is, for a lot of folks is just, um, a bridge too far. Uh, for other folks, it's, it's mysterious. Uh, for some, it's just controversial. Um, so I'm not here to present myself as an authority on Bitcoin. In fact, I didn't present myself as an authority at Bitcoin uh, at the conference because I was surrounded by authorities <laughs> on Bitcoin. That's not why they they asked me to come, uh, because I knew something about Bitcoin that they didn't know. No, I they wanted me to come because I'm, I guess, one of the rare pastors that actually writes on economic matters. I've written, obviously, on uh, the economy, of the household, but also on risk and then investing and so forth. So they wanted me to come and... And uh, talk to them about just you know value and and uh, sort of matters related to currency in general from a pastor's perspective, and that's what I tried to do. And uh, what I what I did in my approach was address the subject of axiology. So let me give folks uh, an insight into what this technical term is referring to. It's a it's a discipline or a subdivision of philosophy. Uh, like metaphysics or ethics or epistemology or aesthetics. Uh, Axiology is the study of value. And uh, why do we value certain things is basically the question. Uh, And what makes something more valuable than something else? Uh, Do things lose value and why do they lose value? These are the questions that people who are thinking about value ask. Now, one of the things that Uh, is more or less, uh, I guess, a given uh, in the study of value is uh, the distinction that is made between intrinsically valuable things and extrinsically valuable things. Now, even this uh, is not altogether, um, in other words, it's not all, there's not, there's not kind of like a large, sort of a, a set of things that people agree on when it comes to this matter. And this is another one of the things that people tend to disagree about. But uh, let me just make a case for how I look at it. And I think uh, the scriptures address the, the subject. So scripture uh, does acknowledge the, the the reality that there are intrinsically valuable things. This is something that some folks uh, who reject scripture, but also reject the Christian faith? Uh, sometimes call into question. There are people who really do believe that it's, I guess, uh, elephants all the way down. That <laughs> that there's nothing uh, intrinsically valuable. In other words, that it's all sort of culturally constructed. But in the Christian faith. Uh, It's easier to to identify uh, intrinsically valuable things. And the way you do so is by saying, what do I want to have for its own sake? Not what do I want to have so that I can have that thing to help me get other things. But what do I want to have that I just want to keep uh, and have for its own sake? Now, an example of this that I think a lot of people would be able to, I think, uh, uh, agree with is health. Uh, Health is intrinsically valuable. Um, I think another thing that's intrinsically valuable would be love. We, we, we want to be loved, uh, and we really want to love other things and people. And, uh, we also, uh, believe that people are intrinsically valuable. That's another thing that's intrinsically valuable. And we don't want to exchange intrinsically valuable things for other things that are only extrinsically valuable. Um, that would be foolish. In fact, a good deal of the teaching that we see in particularly the Gospels has to do with that when it comes to value. Um, you know, when we talk about, say, uh, the various parables that Jesus um, told, you know, an example would be the pearl of great price, right? Uh, or the treasure buried in the field. You know, those. Okay. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I, want, yeah. I want to pause here. Yeah, please.
2: People, those two parables I, I find really interesting because people basically say, well, you know, they're saying the same thing. You sell everything you got to get to the treasure. Except when you look at what Jesus says, in the first case, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field. In the second case, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant. Yeah. It's not like the pearl. It's yeah. like the pearl merchant, yeah, yeah. And I have never seen. it. I mean, I have never seen anybody comment on that.
0: They always, well, they always treat the two as if they're identical. Well, uh, do you have a comment now that you've raised the, the matter? What, what's your thought?
2: Well, the, the you know the the treasure in the field that you have to give up everything to get. I mean, that one I, I think is is relatively easy to get right on on the first blush. But the second one suggests that the, the kingdom of heaven is out looking, right? It's right. out. That's, it's out yeah. looking for people, and in a sense, I guess the people are the pearls.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting. Thing. And but but there's a pearl of great price though. Now yeah. I, I I agree with you that in the first case with the with regard to the, the you know the treasure buried in the field, it's it's almost like it's an accident. Some guy's just out in the field and he's digging around. For, I don't know why. Maybe he's laying a foundation and then boom there it is there's treasure Probably we'll had a metal you. detector yeah that's right <laughs> that's right well, or, the, or yeah. the first century equivalent thereof <laughs> go ahead yeah. tom
1: yeah so what you have especially in the early church is that especially as it engages the it moves out of you know moves out into the uttermost parts of the earth it discovers in the philosophical tradition something that kind of resonates with that is that you have humans that have eros they have They have desire. They're out looking for something of value somewhere, everywhere. They're looking in all these directions. And so in a sense, human beings constituted in such a way as hungry and needy are looking for that something. Um, But that something is always something they're continuously looking for because they're looking for something that can actually satiate that imago that image of god in them and so they're they're out looking and and eventually i think i think if i remember right in the parable, it talks about them willing to pay constantly for a better pearl and a better pearl a better pearl something that close is closer and closer to that which can satiate but once it finds the pearl a great price comparatively that made everything previous, um, you know, kind of com- yeah. kind of almost valueless, even though it was valuable in the process. So there's a lot there that I think early Christian ethics right. dealt with
0: yeah, in so, terms of yeah. So the it, the, it's a pearl merchant, and so obviously yeah. he's in the business of buying and selling pearls. And then he arrives at a pearl that is, you know, a pearl of great price, superlative, right? Yeah, right. incomparable. <laughs> <laughs> little play on words there. That's one of those dad jokes there. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, yeah,
2: now now the interesting, that, that parable is really kind of weird when you think about it. Because what does a pearl merchant do? He buys and sells pearls. Well, he sells all of his pearls. He sells everything he has to get the pearl of great price. Then what's he going to do with it? Yeah, that's the point. It, 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 he's not yeah. going to sell it. He's going to keep it right yeah, so right. Uh, so yeah i mean it it it's well what it is it, is, I is, think, is i think we read uh, that one too fastly there's a lot more going on there yeah
0: yeah i think you're right at the same time i think that in both cases there's something uh and this is the the odd thing about it is that we're still talking about treasure but it's it's being uh it's we're we're using treasure analogically to refer to something else and i think that's uh, implied but uh, it, it's not a stretch. Uh, so you arrive at the pearl of great price and it is intrinsically valuable and you sell everything else to possess it. Now this, this, uh, I think connects to another story related to wealth. Uh, and that's the story of the rich young ruler. And in Luke's gospel, uh, when he approaches Jesus, he says he addresses him as good teacher and that Jesus, uh, rebukes him hmm. or does he? He says, <laughs> "Why do you call me good? There's none good, good but God alone."
1: Now, yes, I, yes.
0: yeah, I want to reflect on that a little bit, but let me just play out the story so we see it where where it leads. And then uh, the young man uh, asks the question, "What can you know? What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And then uh, Jesus directs him to the commandments, and uh, he says, "I've I've I've uh, you know obeyed these uh, since my youth." And then Jesus looks at him and says, "You know, and this is, and we're told this is a rich young ruler, right? Uh, There's one thing you lack. Isn't that interesting? The way he puts it, there's something that you that you lack. And then he tells him, and this is the, you know, so this ironic twist: go and sell everything you have, Mm -hmm. give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, this is another one of those." Stories, Glenn, that I think we read too facilely, because mm-hmm. often it's used as a way of justifying, uh, you know, giving your goods up for those in need, and I think there's, yeah. there's, there's that's, that's good, but, but what's really being uh, extolled is Jesus. Jesus is saying to him that, uh, in effect, I am the pearl of great price. Yeah, the incomparable, that's the incomparable right. one. And it's also tacitly being, I think, communicated that, guess who I am? <laughs> I am good. You had it yeah. right. <laughs> but now you know
1: why. <laughs> I find it very interesting, especially, again, when Christianity enters those early early debates with the Hellenic philosophical world, how central finding the good, right? There is none good but God. The equation of good and God is something distinctly brought from, I mean, remember Plato. Plato saw good as a higher concept of God because God was basically a demiurgos, a, 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 a divine craftsman, but that but was not the highest. And so, what you have is an it, the highest, the pearl of the highest here. There isn't the higher. And then the question is, do you see me? Yeah, yeah, and, right. and and the, and then and, there is that whole that whole notion is blessed of the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's a person who. Does not have a pure heart as they claim, keeping the commandments all the way. And that one area that is that will show it—the inability to see that Jesus is the good one—is—is is that uh, his wealth was he had a pearl that was higher than the pearl of great price in his, his in his own estimation.
0: in his own estimation. And yeah. uh, the, you know, a couple of things that are painful about the story, of course, is because when we talk about gold or silver or possessions we're talking about extrinsically valuable things. And I want to get into the nature of extrinsic value next, but I, I wanted to set this up first by, you know, delving into this, the, the matter of intrinsic value. And, and really what I think, you know, your, your comment, Tom, about the nature of the good, uh, and it's being, um, equated with God or, it's, it, you know, they're one and the same. In other words, God and the good are one and the same. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Jesus is saying. Um, that implies, though, that Jesus is ultimately real, because uh, we're not talking about something that appears to be something else. We're talking about the thing itself. So the reason why G- you know, God is the only one who is truly good is because he is the only one who is intrinsically valuable, because he's, self, uh, he's self-extant. He doesn't rely on anything else to sustain his existence, and he's the one who gives who lends goodness to everything else. So he is ultimately real. So there's this connection between what is ultimately real and what is ultimately valuable. And I think that's what I would say uh, is implied by Jesus' statement that only God is good. And then the question is, is how does anything else derive its goodness uh, in relationship to that? Now, we can talk about health as being intrinsically good, but that health is uh is something that we owe God for. And you can just kind of keep going down that line.
1: And, and not to skip too too far from your point of of reality and the good being one and the same. That the way the way a lot of the, the um you know the Christian philosophical theologians put it was the true and the good are one and the same, right? Whatever is is true. Whatever is, is good. Right. And so that's an important point because this is, I mean, especially at a time when we are, we're dealing with a lot of eclipsing of the nature of the real, we are being, you know, continuously distanced from the nature of the good. And we have the inability or increased inability to, to be able to discern both. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's right. So that means that Anything else that is intrinsically good, th- something we, we want for its own sake, like justice. Justice in, is uh, intrinsically good. Um, love is intrinsically good. Health is intrinsically good. Freedom is intrinsically good. Now, all of these things uh, owe their goodness to God and are gifts of God um, and are intended to serve God. In other words, they could, they're not intended to just simply be ends. Uh, But they uh, tie us back into God because God is their source. So when we pray, you know, in the Lord's Prayer for our daily bread or to be delivered from evil, all of these things are, are worthwhile praying for and they're intrinsically good, but they're not intrinsically good in the highest sense. Only God is good in himself and is the source of all these goods. Anything else that we want to add to that before we jump into well, I think into- that's
1: why you have your your in the lord's prayer you have the fir- what is the first orientation of ourselves It's the openness the proper openness to the, to the highest right yeah. our father who are, are in heaven you know the arche, mm-hmm. the first principle of, and first truth of all reality um hallowed be your name that is something that is yeah it is we we benefit completely from that um but we benefit because it from it because it is the good itself that we're oriented towards, which they're, they're, the rest of them are just byproducts of. It's like the commandments as well. Love God first above all things is, is really what we're saying. Why? Because when you love that which is the perfection of of everything, including the source of all of your goods, um, then you're you're oriented to everything else the right way. The other goods you can love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you you've gotten the value right. Yeah, yeah. Anything
2: you wanted to add there, Glenn? Yeah, just one quick observation about the uh, parable. Um, Jesus doesn't say sell everything and give it to the poor. He says sell everything and give to the poor. Okay. There, it, there, there's no, there the the language does not imply he has to give everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good caveat.
2: But the 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 sale of the goods represents, I think a breaking of the hold of wealth over him. Right, right. You know, so you sell it all. Yeah, you should be giving to the poor. You've got wealth. You should do that. But the key is don't let the wealth control you. Give it up and come follow me.
0: Yeah, and the good of the wealth is extrinsic in character. Right. It's not not intrinsic. And so he's made a foolish bargain. He's exchanged what is genuinely good god himself for gold that's the dumbest exchange you could possibly make (laughs) and what what jesus is inviting him to do is to exchange extrinsic goods for what is intrinsically good god himself now this this actually leads me to, and we're told by the way in the parable that he goes away sorrowful because he has many many possessions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that a great way to end it? I mean, there's, there there's, <laughs> are wheels within wheels when it comes to scripture. <laughs> but uh, this leads me to another parable, and where I think the nature of, of extrinsic wealth is, uh, and its relationship to intrinsic goods is, uh, I think laid out very clearly but it's a perplexing parable because the the protagonist is an anti-hero and this is the parable of the dishonest manager which is my favorite of when it comes to the parables <laughs> precisely it was, because it <laughs> <laughs> precisely because it 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 uh, is so uh counterintuitive it's so uh, offensive in certain respects and because so many people just throw their hands up in despair when it comes when they when they read it and they just don't know what's going on let me let me proffer uh, an interpretation so folks uh who listen to us regularly i'm sure are familiar with the parable but in the parable just for the sake of to, to refresh our minds we have a manager who is uh been told uh he's fired but 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 in a in a I don't know why he's been given, he's given uh, a little extra time to get his affairs in order, apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so he's, he's, he's beside himself because he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's in charge of, of a, of a, of a wealthy man's goods. And apparently they're significant and he doesn't know what to do uh, next. He doesn't want to dig. He's, he says, I, I I'm not strong enough to be, to, to go out and do manual labor in effect. And, um, and I'm too proud to beg. <laughs> so, so what am I going to do? And he says, ah, I got it. He calls in all of the, all of the people who owe all of the debtors, uh, that, that his master, uh, you know, has connected to him and he, and he cuts their bills. He, he tells each one, you know, Hey, Mark it down. So the first guy, I can't remember. I think it's maybe a hundred bushels of wheat or something like that. And he tells him effect, and effect, if I remember correctly, cut the bill in half. And then the mm-hmm. next guy, he doesn't get quite as good a deal. I think it's, I think it's oil or something. And he's give, he tells him to cut it by 20%. But anyway, what, what happens is that because he does these things with his master's wealth, he makes friends. So he has all these people who now owe him a favor, <laughs> uh, And when he's fired, he has all of these folks that he can come and visit and uh, spend some time with, and and they feel uh, some sense of obligation to him because of what he's done for them. Now, the way the story ends is where I think people, what frustrates people, because the master, when he calls him to to account, he says, hey, you know, you're a pretty shrewd guy. (laughs) I like you, but you're still fired. (laughs) But uh, you acted pretty shrewdly there, and then Jesus... (laughs) commends the dishonest manager and he says the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with each other than the children of light use this guy as an example in your dealings with other people and then the parable ends and and everybody just like what i'm supposed to be dishonest I'm supposed to rip off my master, and you know now employers across America are, are kind of like cringing and thinking, "No, no, that can't possibly be this, the the message of the parable." But in fact, it is. And the problem that people have is 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 this: people assume that they are the employer. That's not the case. The employer is God. God is the master. And we are playing with house money, right? And really, no matter what we do with it, it's still God's. You know, if we take it from somebody else illicitly and it's now in our pocket, it's still God's, right? It's not as though God doesn't have access to it. So you can't rob God. I mean, you literally can't rob God. Now, rhetorically, I know that we can talk about tithes and offerings and so (laughs) forth, but uh, I think we all get the point (laughs) that even the tithes and offerings were already God's. and. Uh, what you have in this case is, is an example drawn from from kind of the underworld, uh, the, the the you know the sort of the uh, the world of of human deceit, and we're intent we're suppo- we're we're supposed to take away from this uh, a truth, and that truth is there are many goods that we enjoy in life that we owe God for. We should use those goods to make friends. Uh, when it comes to that. What does that mean? Well, it means helping people out who you know we know are in need, uh, being generous, magnanimous, like we talked about just a couple of shows ago, magnanimity. It, it, because it's all house money, we're not any poorer when we give it away. In fact, yeah. we're wealthier yeah. when we use it in the proper way, the way that we're encouraged to use the goods that God has given us in the story. So extrinsic goods— Intrinsic goods. A friend in need is an intrinsic good, right? A friend is an is intrinsically good. We we want friends. There are wealthy people who have no friends, and there are poor people who have many friends. And if we were really to assess things properly, who would we say is wealthier?
1: Yeah.
0: You know,
2: the interesting thing here, Chris. When I, when I came back from Sierra Leone, I was talking to my students in my class about um, the conditions in the country, you know, that, you know, the, I've, I've done the stats here before one in eight women die in childbirth, one in five children die by the age of five. Um, there's, you know, the medical care is nearly non-existent, uh, on and on and on. And I had a student in the class just look at me kind of confused and said, well, do they walk around miserable all the time? <laughs> and I said, no. Absolutely not, because they're rich in relationships. They've got very, very close networks of people in, that they're in relationship with, and that you know that's the thing that matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, That very po- point. I have a, a friend who uh, he's he's a pastor in, in Switzerland. He's, a, he's an old Oxford colleague of mine, and he married a, a gal from Venezuela, and he was visiting her family during Christmas time and nearby he could see these huge trash heaps with children picking and playing in them it was christmas time and the kids were out there together singing <laughs> joyfully to the top of their lungs christmas Christmas songs. They were getting no gifts, right? They right. were, there was no wealth. They were looking for basically things to sell, but they had a joy in a camaraderie that he said he doesn't have in his wealthy nation with his friends or yeah. a joy like that.
0: It reminds me of that Stevie Wonder uh, song where he's reminiscing about his childhood back when I was a nappy headed boy. He talks about <laughs> in the song, he talks about uh, Christmas. And he said, my only worry is what would be my toy and then he says in the song, even though sometimes we wouldn't get a thing, we were happy with the day, the joy would, or the joy the day would bring. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's one of my favorite Stevie Wonder yeah, it's songs. That, it's a, that that very point. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a beautiful song. Um, now, getting back to extrinsic extrinsic value, uh, why does gold, for example, possess value? Now, if if we've talked about all these different things that are intrinsically valuable that people uh, should desire uh, to possess for their own sake, health, justice, freedom, God, etc. Nevertheless, a lot of people spend lots of time working for gold, (laughs) something that's extrinsically valuable. What do I mean by that? Well, it's valuable because it's useful for getting other things of value. Now you can use it to acquire other things that are extrinsically valuable, like a car or what have you, or you can use it in the way that, you know, we're uh, encouraged to use extrinsically valuable things in the parable of the dishonest manager for things that are intrinsically valuable. So, and and each way, each way of using extrinsically valuable things or currency or wealth or gold, whatever uh, is, that's fine. It's legitimate. Um, But, I, I you know was taken with this with this question, taken up I took took up this question uh, uh concerning what is uh you know the value of gold, not just because I was thinking about gold, but because I was thinking about Bitcoin, because Bitcoin uh in some circles is presented to us as a kind of well uh gold for the modern world or gold for the internet or and I don't want to get into a, a, a full explanation as to how Bitcoin works. Uh, I can say this: I own some, and uh, based on my what I've learned about it, I intend to own more. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that uh, putting all of my resources into Bitcoin is a good idea. I don't. I think I think Bitcoin, like gold, uh, has a place in you know the sort of the range of things that you possess. Um, and probably not a huge place, maybe 5% at most, maybe 10. Um, and I can get into some reasons why, but before I do that, I want to think a little bit about, um, what makes, uh, things that are extrinsically valuable, extrinsically valuable. Um, what I used in the course of my talk to delve into this is the film Casablanca. So just, if you've never seen Casablanca, What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's, it's perhaps the greatest film ever filmed. And turn was, off the <laughs> podcast. Go watch it. <laughs> then turn it back. Turn us back on. <laughs> That's it's a right. day for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It. You know. I've learned too that Casablanca was kind of written on the fly, and that Humphrey Bogart, who plays Rick, in this sort of, you know, the 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 the, the role that kind of made him uh, like the icon that he is was he w- he didn't like the role he, he was he was frustrated with the writers uh he was yeah. angry all the time about it uh, because <laughs> he didn't know what to expect the next day because they were just kind of making it up on the fly <laughs> but it's the story of a of a of a, a casino really uh in Casablanca which is in French Morocco Uh, and it's, uh, World War II. And that's another thing that's fascinating about this. The film was actually produced in, uh, during the, the, the course of the war and I think 1943 or 42. So things are still very much in doubt at this point in terms of the prospects for the allies, but What what the story is about is the refugees, the political refugees of Europe are fleeing the Nazis. The Nazis are advancing at this point in the course of the war. They're just winning and winning and winning. Uh, They've taken uh, a large swath of France under possession. There's still a portion of France, Vichy France, which is uh, not formally under their control, but the French authorities are collaborating with the Nazis, kind of working with them. And even in French Morocco, even though, uh, the Nazis aren't actually kind of running things directly, uh, they have a lot of influence over the French authorities. And it's within this environment that all of these refugees from Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, France, et cetera, even, uh, German refugees, as you, as you find in the film, they come to Casablanca in order to get letters of transit, uh, that will allow them to matriculate to Lisbon and from there fly to the Americas and the Americas in Casablanca, uh, are the, are the representation or represent freedom. Isn't it a wonderful thought that (laughs) we used to represent freedom? I'm not sure we can say that we do that anymore, but, uh, one time we did, Anyway, uh, this casino or this cafe is uh, Rick's uh, Café American. And the owner is, of course, Humphrey Bogart. He plays the character Rick. And in the film, uh, Rick is actually himself a a kind of freedom fighter. He had been uh, in Spain during the fighting there. He had spent some time in Ethiopia during the fighting there. These are, of course, precursors to world war two and the conflict. And he's running this, uh, this casino because he can't go home. Uh, he's not, he's not permitted to return to the United States. We learned that early in the film. Um, but he's helping a lot of other people. Uh, and he's just running this casino, uh, just because it's a living, I guess. And it's a place for his friend, Sam, who's, uh, the pianist that, uh, is made, been made famous because of the song he sings. Uh, in the, the request play it again sam <laughs>
2: <laughs> which is a line and, that never actually appears in the movie <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i think she just says play it sam right and uh, but anyway uh as the story unfolds we see that rick is this remarkable person and everybody in the film is completely taken with him because he is cynical worldly wise crafty uh and innocent as a dove he is a pure-hearted man and he's a tender-hearted man and there are points in the film where that comes out <laughs> but he's also no one's fool nobody can get anything past him and there's this marvelous interchange between him and peter laurie who plays this character Ugarty. Mm-hmm. you got, uh, i think it's Ugarty. anyway Ugarty and um peter laurie of course is that character actor uh Rick, Rick. You remember the, the yeah, <laughs> his, his his voice. And, but there's but there's this but in the course of the story, there are these letters of transit that have been signed by General de Gaulle himself. So they're like the ultimate ticket to freedom. And uh Ugarte has uh killed two German couriers to get them. And he comes to Rick and he says, Rick, Rick, uh I I want you to w- watch these papers for me. And, and he says, as he's interacting with Rick, he says, Rick, uh, you despise me, don't you? Because <laughs> obviously he's this, this underworld sort of slimy character who's willing to kill to get money and et cetera. And Rick, Rick in a deadpan voice says, if I gave you any thought, I suppose I would. <laughs> Which is this great line. And then, and then Peter Lorre, uh says, Rick, I have, I have many friends in Casablanca, many friends, but it's because you despise me that you're the only one I trust. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much is, is sort of caught in, in, you know, in that brief interchange. But what we see in that interchange is the importance of trust, the nature of currency, so there's a trust that uh, Peter Laurie, who's a despicable character, and uh, Humphrey Bogart, who is the noble character, the trust that they have in the efficacy of the letters of transit. In other words, they're not forged. They've got the genuine signature of General de Gaulle. Anyone who possesses those has got a ticket to freedom. Anyway, as the story unfolds, uh, those letters of transit, of course, Uh, Are very important in 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 sort of the the ending of the story. So, but I'm no spoiler. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it ends beautifully, (laughs) self sacrificially. It's 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 one of the great films uh, in the history of cinema for a good reason. But what I what I what I propose to my audience um, at that point is um, we live in a time that's eerily similar to what's depicted in Casablanca. And the reason that's so is that no one trusts their governments Mm. and the currencies, the fiat currencies that those governments, well, at that point, they weren't fiat currencies, but the currencies that that were issued by those governments. And because at that point in the story, you know, you didn't know if your government was going to survive the, you know, the the advance of the Nazis. Right. So, so people who were trying to buy their freedom Mm. uh, couldn't use the currencies Uh, They weren't accepted. You had to use, you know, heirlooms, family, you know, precious family uh, possessions. There's a scene where a woman's trying to sell this magnificent diamond necklace for letters of transit, and and the underworld figure that she's trying to sell uh, or or to exchange the necklace for letters of transit from, he just kind of says, I've got diamonds, more diamonds than I know what to do with. (laughs) In other words, people, you know... uh, the value of diamonds has, has has dropped because of the, you, you know, sort of ubiquity or the superabundance of diamonds because everybody's using them to try to get out of Casablanca, get away from the Nazis. And then there's, a, there's actually a woman who considers selling her own body in order to acquire letters of transit for her and her husband. And that's one of the moments where Rick reveals just how tenderhearted he is and he comes to their rescue. But <clears throat> so that's the scene that we have. And we, we're kind of in that. We're kind of uh, in an, a moment like that where uh, our trust uh, for, you know, in the authorities has been compromised for many reasons. We talk about those reasons all the time on the show. Everything from the insanity of transgenderism to the uh, failure of the COVID measures and yeah. the obvious uh, sort of self-serving acts of many people who have been in authority during that time, all of these different things. We could go on and on and on about why we don't trust our, you know, our civil authorities any longer. Then the question is, is what can you trust? What can you trust? So anyway, uh, that's where the the subject of currency and Bitcoin is taken up in my talk. Uh, Any thoughts, though? I've been rambling on for a while. Uh Well, I mean, there's a lot
1: there. Um, I I mean, maybe I could go back a minute to something that was going on in kind of the the history of the time of, uh, you know, that the movie's depicting there. And that's, of course, one of the things that Nazis were doing was going around taking... All of the things of value, like art, <laughs> right, and right, gold, right. especially from you know formerly rich Jewish families, and taking right. it and hoarding it for themselves. Yeah. and there, there is, a, there is, a, they're like the reversal. You know, they're they're the ones who who are like they see that as their pearl of great price, what the rich young ruler was committed to, right? Yeah. The, rather than the real pearl of great price, pursuing the these others, but they recognize interestingly, a value there. Um, and, and so I have a quick question here is, is just with those kinds of values, you know, like what would, you know, good art or, and the like, I know there's always parameters of, you know, kind of right. who appreciates what, but the value of such things, especially Western, you know, the, the high points of Western civilization, which now right. are kind of just seen as, you know, white supremacy projected. W- does that stuff, other than for the small, you know, not small, but the, the the kind of people that appreciate that, does that still have the the cultural capital to be that valuable? I mean, I, I yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great I, question. Well, I, 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 ahead. Ahead. I
2: read something where a um, there was a, um, a a Italian family that had has held on to its wealth for the past 500 years. And somebody was talking to them and said to them, all right, how do you do this? And they said, well, it's simple. You have, now I don't, I don't, it was either three or four things that, that you put your money in. Um, one of them was gold. One of them was land. One of them was art. And there might've been a fourth one. You see, you just divide it up. You know, divide it up equally among each of these things,
0: and you're you're good. Yeah, that's that's exactly uh, the same article I saw, Glenn, and I remember those three categories, um, and I'm collecting all three. Uh, but that particular article really prompted me to become a much more uh, sort of purposeful art collector. And I just came uh, at one of probably the find of my life uh, here recently. I purchased. Uh, uh, John R. Niels, uh one of his drawings from the, from the original Oz uh, books uh, by Frank Baum. I have an original uh, drawing from uh, the Scarecrow of Oz, which was in the personal collection of a Spanish collector in his hmm. estate and had, had been a part of the national museum of art and the, the museum of modern art in New York at the stamps on the are, are on the back of the piece and I was able to get it at a super bargain price because I was the only person in the room. It was a virtual <laughs> room online, and I got it. Yeah. Uh, I won't tell you what, it was, what it's worth, at least what, was, what the estimated value is worth, because I have the paperwork on it. But it's, it's pretty stunning that I got it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but you're right. I mean, there have, there have to be people who recognize the value, I think, Tom. Yeah. But I think, I think there still are uh, a lot of people out there who do. Um, yeah in fact i think that in the in the moment that we find ourselves in where uh the civil authorities are debasing the currency fiat currency uh through just printing it you know w- without uh any conscience um and really harming people who uh have fixed incomes those are the people who are being robbed those are the people who are being yeah. taxed yeah. um Go ahead. Yeah, Go
2: ahead. It, 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 one of the things I, I read your uh, your talk at the Bitcoin conference, and one of the things that I was uh, really struck by is just that issue of uh, government intentionally inflating um, money supply. Um, you know, Even if you look at the Federal Reserve's goal, they want to g- keep it to 2% inflation. The Bible talks about honest weights and measures. Yeah. And honest weights and measures don't just mean the things that you put on the scale when you're you're weighing right. your meat or whatever. It means things like your currency, right? And right. so the government is by this inflationary process. The government is yes stealing, but it is also directly violating that right. that. Uh, precept about honest weights and measures and when you take a look at what the old testament law has to say about that you know it's right there with moving boundary stones and stuff like that it's really pretty you know god is really pretty upset about that kind of thing
0: yeah think about this who are the people who suffer most with the inflation of the currency it's little old ladies living on social security that's the people who are being uh taken advantage of
1: yeah, and it's and a lot of it's the young that are trying to get their first step. You know, the ones who really need it to be, mm-hmm. you know, you know, need the help at that moment. Oftentimes, it's thrown back on, it throws them back in the situations of dependency, which, you know. Yeah, often, I think that. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, yeah, that's that's I think ultimately the appeal of socialism at the moment. Yes, it's it's, it's not so much that people believe that socialism is a good thing, uh, after a great deal of, you know, hard thought, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what they're saying is, is that I, I don't have any other recourse yeah. than this. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm turning to it because I can't figure out anything else to do. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's bad, but I get it. You know, I yeah. get, I get why, why people are turning to it. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's, there is this, I mean, in it, it's it, it just simply, I think, historically. I mean, again, I, I understand from the notion of the fall why it happens. Right. But to put a boundary the way the very wealthy and the people who have a say in all of this, to put a boundary there that really makes them continue to be the small minority that has so much in terms of worldly things. And to basically make it harder and harder for
0: anyone to get over that boundary. Um, yeah, yeah. This, this, by the way, I think this generation, may, maybe this is not a fair statement because my, my sample size is too small. Let me, let me rephrase it. <laughs> uh, it's remarkably similar to what we saw in the first century yeah. where we have extremely wealthy people virtue signaling all the time to try yeah. to distract us from the fact that they're robbing widows and orphans. Yeah, yeah. You know, that yeah. is the thing. You know, uh, uh, you know they'll, they'll, they'll point at maybe, you know, this or that measure. That they're, but it doesn't really cut into their lifestyle at all. In fact, everything that's going on is only further strengthening their, their, their hold uh, yeah. on, on our society. Yeah. Well, I want to think now a little bit about what makes gold— Um, valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, What makes Bitcoin valuable? Now, one of the things that people point to uh, is scarcity. And I get that. I mean, that's certainly the reason why, uh, you know, it seems like a good thing to use gold to back the currency so that it's a hedge against inflation, right? Because inflation is all about increasing the money supply. And if the supply of gold is limited, that puts a break on that, right? So, so that seems sound, but is that the whole story? I don't think so. What I what I did in my talk a little bit is reflect on the analogical character of currencies. So even fiat currency, I believe, owes its value to its analogical character, insofar as uh, it, uh, in some sense, uh, can be seen as a reflection of, or a kind of analog to an attribute of God. So when we think about fiat currency, what's backing up fiat currency? Well, it's the power of a sovereign state. Okay. So that's nothing, that's not nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's a pretty significant thing. I mean, the United States government is a pretty big uh, beast. <laughs> it is Leviathan. I mean, it. you know, um, there's no, there's no power in the world, and I don't even think the Chinese uh, can take on the U.S. when it's at its best. Um, yeah, there could be something stupid that we do. I get that. But <laughs> but that's an analog to the power of God. In some sense, it reflects God's power, right? Now, with, when it comes to gold, what is it about gold that every culture, as far as I know, in the history of the world has seen it as valuable as something to, to be desired well it's lustrous for one thing it's you know meaning it's beautiful it it, yeah. it the way it uh presents the light or reflects light uh it's weighty and i noted in my article that the hebrew word for glory <laughs> literally means heavy um it's uh, oh, yeah. it's not subject to decay or to tarnishing, or this is one of the reasons why it's more valuable than silver. Just one of the reasons. I mean, I've got a bunch of silver and every time I open it up, it needs to be polished. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <That's not accurate. laughs> you don't need to do that with gold. Uh, so there, so there are things about gold and then we see it in scripture. We see a um, gold let, let's, reference. Let's say another cut.
2: thing that, that I think we overlook Okay. Gold is also extremely, it's soft. It's extremely easy to work. Yeah. And therefore, you can do things with it rather than just have it sit there as a lump or have to work really hard to make it do anything. You can hammer it down into leaf. You can. Uh, you can mold it. It's got a relatively low melting temperature. You can mold it. You can work it in all kinds of different ways to turn it into things where all of these other aspects of gold, its its beauty and all of that, that sort of thing, can then be put into, well, jewelry, statues, whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah it, it's able to be
1: spread out. I mean I, I think you're you're hitting hitting strongly on the analogous character there. I mean yeah. this is one of the reasons why I always like to hit back at the 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 understanding of Christianity when it started to really draw out its view of of creation in its engagement with philosophy is it recognized what is we use the term its theophanic character. The fact that everything in creation nothing arbitrary about created things everything reflects and and is open towards its creator as its source and everything is different and there are things like gold that manifest something of the creator in a way and you're hinting on these this kind of permanence this but yet this permanence that can be spread out and shared and and continues to keep a permanence, even as it's spread out, you have, you know, it's beauty in a ring, it's beauty in a, you know, as, you know, paint touching up a painting. I mean, it it can be spread out in so many ways without losing, you know, it's, 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 its, you know, identity and nature like that. Um, so, and, and the beauty, I think that it refracts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that all those things go into its, um, its value. Um, you know, we see it referenced in the, in the beginning of the Bible, you know, uh, it's right there in Havilah, right next to the garden of Eden. Uh, we see it there in the tabernacle in the wilderness. I mean, the closer you get to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, uh, the more exclusively you see gold, uh, referenced. So, you know, you've got bronze, uh, then you've got silver, then you have gold kind of working in. And then, um, you see it at the end, of course, uh, the streets of gold and, the, yeah. the, the, you know, the new Jerusalem. And so, the crowns, crowns of, yeah, and, yeah and with the jewels, the other yeah. precious things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, the, and that I think that's a good point, Tom. Uh, jewels as well, in some sense, because they capture light. I think that's yeah. another thing that's just so remarkable. So anyway, beauty uh, uh, informs this. Um and it's for all these different reasons that these that, that gold is extrinsically valuable. It's its intrinsic characteristics that make it extrinsically valuable. Do you see what I'm getting at? Because of its relationship to God. It's as though God placed gold in creation intentionally yeah. as a kind of marker, some kind of clue uh, for us to see and think about Him in relationship to it. Um Now, uh, other things that are extrinsically valuable, uh, I've mentioned fiat currency and the fact that it has this relationship to power, gold, and its, I would say, aesthetic characteristics, and that ties in to its relationship to the divine. Now, for the purpose of my talk on Bitcoin, people might be wondering, what in the world can ones and zeros say? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that can serve as an an analog to God. Well, let me just make a, a br- very brief and and I, I want to preface my remarks by saying I'm not trying to get people to buy Bitcoin. Uh, it won't benefit me in the slightest if you do. <laughs> but what is it? Well, the thing about Bitcoin that makes it what it is is a couple of things. One is it's not issued by governments, so it's it's money that actually is. Um, exchanged without a third party, meaning in this case, the government being involved in it, which you have instead is a, as a set of rules that are immutable. And that's the point rules that are immutable, which govern, uh, how the value, uh, is acknowledged or recognized and, and how the exchanges work Bitcoin is actually a public ledger that's the thing about it you know I think when people hear about it they think they have this little image in their mind of like virtual coins <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> I know that was that was me you know I thought oh ooh, a virtual coin <laughs> that's not actually it that the, the the coin so to speak is is just an analog to the code what the code does is you have this, public ledger that everybody has access to. So it's universally accessible, but privacy is maintained because of encryption. And the encryption is so difficult to, to crack that you have more, you're you're more likely to be able to identify a single atom in the universe than you are to crack the code. Hmm. In other words, the, the, the number of uh, so when you have a 256 bit encryption code, the number of variables or uh, ways that that could be uh, sort of uh, uh, presented in terms of the you know um, hmm. what's the word I'm looking for <sighs> um, chance in terms of the number of chances it that, that that you have there are there are more. Uh, possibilities than there are atoms in the universe mm-hmm. that makes it pretty difficult to crack now <laughs> some people say that if we ever develop um quantum computing that we'll be able to crack it so i'm, I'm not uh, you know you're going to go there because i'm the last person you want to ask about quantum computing <laughs> <laughs> but if, if since this is the case you can have both super secrecy and a public record which means, and, and counterfeiting is impossible. Now, mm-hmm. it, it could be possible if you were able to get a fifty-one percent share of the, you know, Bitcoin that's that's out there. And I've read different accounts that talk about how that works. Again, mm-hmm. I'm I'm out of my depth. The main thing though is that you have this public record, and you have secrecy, and it, it's the combination of these two things that that. I think serves as a kind of analog to God. Now let me explain why God's character is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And that's what Bitcoin is attempting. I'm not saying it's achieved that, (laughs) but it's in an, in an analog as an analog to that. This is why it's valuable. It's unchanging and can't be corrupted, or that's the goal anyway. And then the secrecy—you uh, know what you possess. Other people can know that you know certain people possess certain things if they know who's um, you know uh, identified with a particular signature. Uh, but nevertheless, in a particular transaction, the parties can remain. Completely opaque. Um, and what we have there is, it strikes me as being a kind of individualism that um, the system recognizes you, but no one else does. And then that reminds me of that passage in Revelation where there's a stone that you will receive, a white stone with a name on it that is known only to God. Mm-hmm. In other words, God knows you and nobody else does. And there's something about Bitcoin that is kind of analogical or has a certain kind of works analogically like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are reasons why Bitcoin is able to be a store of value. It's not inc- intrinsically valuable. It's extrinsically valuable. In other words, it's good in so far as it can be. You can use it to, uh, as a means of exchange, but it's also, and this is a third reason why it has value. Uh, it can crack the the control, or it can ex- elude the control of governments, mm. and and it's done so. So during the Canadian trucker crisis, you know, we mm. we heard about you know yeah. bank accounts being frozen, yeah, banks. Okay owe their existence to uh, you know sovereign states yeah. let's just be perfectly frank about it and if the sovereign state decides that they want to shut down a bank unless yeah. you know they can do it uh it, and if a bank decides it wants to be you know it wants to put it to the, the interests of its clients first and the government says no you're going to put our interests ahead of theirs most of the time banks will go along <laughs>
1: yeah
0: and we saw that with the Canadian truckers yeah. but People were able to help Canadian truckers through Bitcoin, Hmm. and the Canadian government couldn't stop it. Furthermore, even the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, for over a decade trying again and again to stop Bitcoin has not been able to do it. In fact, the most active people in the world in the Bitcoin market are Chinese.
1: Hmm.
0: So, anyway, (laughs) those are my thoughts on Bitcoin and why it's a it's worthwhile maybe to get into, but it, my, my main thought is, is this is why it's valuable. In other words, extrinsically valuable because are things, so the U S government can't control God either.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It thinks it can. <laughs> That's, right. That's yeah. right. Right. But I mean, I think, I think the, you know, a lot of people are concerned, especially when they see, for example, corporations that all of a sudden come out with you know bizarre commitments to bizarre social projects and you see them committed to it you know that pressure is going far back and you know it's eventually linked to finance and government and and globally and so and so they're willing or not willing but they they'll take a hit billions um, because they see the threat on the flip side that anything affects you know their relationship to the economic realm that that keeps them afloat um, you know is a big issue I mean it's harder for an individual or a family or you know or you know, just a working person if they are not going to go along with the script out of moral reasons that they're being pressured into I mean we have with the it definitely with the the trans agenda a religious cult that has taken over yes and it 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 is not it it wants you to affirm its creed it isn't about you know living learning to live alongside people that that you know have different creeds it wants you your your there's a replacement flag for your country Mm -hmm. but it's also one for your your christian flag it needs to be lower on the pole
0: that's exactly right
2: Rod Dreher just exactly. did a very good piece on that, on uh, transgender as religion.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 And as anybody knows who knows us, we're not anti-religion. <laughs> 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 what we just wanted to, to, to say is that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Lord. Uh, and we uh, respect the conscientious um, commitments and convictions of other people. Um, we don't want to coerce people into anything, but at the same time, uh, we're not going to let ourselves be coerced. That's right. Uh, by this other kind of false faith. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've, I, I, I think we've come to the end of the show. In fact, we've gone a little longer than we usually do. So why don't we wrap it up? Um, Hey folks, thanks for listening to the theology podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can always give us a positive rating on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. If you don't like what you've heard, it's amazing that you got this far along in the show. (laughs) But anyway, uh, thanks for listening either way. And uh, if you'd like to help us out, you can also help us out through our Patreon account. We have a number of people who give to the show on a monthly basis, and it's really important. It does pay the bills. And if you want to become a Uh, A patron of the Theology Podcast. There's a link in the show notes. There's also a link in the show notes for our event coming up uh, this coming Wednesday uh, at uh, the Courtyard Marriott there in Memphis, Tennessee. And we'd love to see you there uh, Wednesday uh, the 14th from three o'clock to seven o'clock at the King Cotton Ballroom. Uh, Anyway, uh, please come if you can. I guess that's it for now. Sound, sound like the end of the show to you guys? It does. <laughs> right. put, in, put in a link for Huntsville, too. Yeah, and we'll try to do that, too. And Hopefully, we'll see you at one of those places. All right. Bye-bye, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: The Theology Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast you might enjoy another of our podcasts, The Good Life Podcast, featuring Matt Carpenter interviewing experts in their field about how their work contributes to the good life.